0: good morning morning. would you turn with me to today's scripture reading It comes from first peter chapter two verses one through eight i'll be reading from the english standard version if at any time you come to church and you've forgotten your bible or you need to have one we do have some on the back table um, that you're welcome to to use as well i just wanted to point that out this morning so on to god's word
1: Has been reborn, as Peter has already told us in his amazing letter, since the Christian has already be, been reborn as God's chosen, beloved, adopted child, what are the new habits? What are the new habits of being a member of a new family, a new loving father, a new name? Peter begins to lay it out now in the remaining chapters of his letter. The first thing he says by way of new habits is in chapter 1, verse 22. He says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. A Christian's faith is also a corporate faith. The scripture tells us that for a Christian community, we mature together, we don't grow up in our faith on our own as individuals. We mature together. And on this journey as exiles, remember, Peter calls us chosen exiles. We're refugees in this world, according to the New Testament. On this journey as exiles, a loner's faith can be fatal. So what I want to talk to you about today from Peter's words are what promotes Christian maturity. We're going to talk about what promotes our maturity in Christ, what prevents our maturity, and then finally, what guarantees our maturity. What promotes our maturity and growth, what prevents it, and then what absolutely guarantees it. So what promotes our maturity or our nourishment, if you will? What promotes our nourishment as Christians is a craving for Jesus. Thousands of years before Peter wrote this, uh, David the king sang these words, and we read them earlier in Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And Peter picks up on this theme. He says, like new in verse 2. Verses 2 and 3, Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There are a lot of verbs in there, but, but the controlling verb is an imperative. Right? Long for. That's controlling the whole section. Long for, or another way of saying it is to greatly desire. And that when the biblical writers use that word, uh, they used it to connote a deep desire for something or for someone. For instance, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says that he longs for his friends, the Thessalonians. You may have heard Psalm 42, when the psalmist sings that he longs for the living God like a deer pants for water. That's the word to long for, to greatly desire something. And so Peter is saying, since you have been reborn by the grace of God, then like babies, desire pure spiritual milk, he calls it. Now, what's that? What's this milk? Well, one commentator puts it this way. I think this is the best way to understand what Peter is saying is the spiritual equivalent of milk. Think of it that way. So a mother's milk, whether you're a human being or a cat or a wolf, uh, a mother's milk strengthens you and even immunizes you, doesn't it, Uh, for a young baby? So this milk that Peter's talking about nourishes the Christian, spiritually speaking, whether you're a recent convert. Having just been baptized or whether you are a mature disciple of Christ. Everybody's nurtured by the same spiritual milk. Because it says right in the passage that by this milk, you grow up into salvation. So it's for everyone, regardless of where you are on the exiles journey. Now, why should you crave this milk as a Christian? Well, Peter says, because You've tasted that the Lord is good. Since since the Christian has already tasted Christ's goodness, the Christian, Peter says, should desire more of it. Essentially, we grow in our faith by wanting more and more of Jesus. It's really that simple. You grow in Christian faith by wanting more and more and more of Christ. This taste, this word taste is a loaded word. Because it means to experience something. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago. Jonathan Edwards, the old Puritan, said that there's a difference between categorizing honey as sweet and experiencing the sweetness of honey. That's what Peter is saying. You have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, why do you keep revisiting the same restaurant? Again, your favorite restaurant you're thinking of it right now. Please don't say Buffalo Wild Wings. (laughs) You can say it. It's okay. I guess I won't judge you. Um, (laughs) Think of your favorite restaurant. Why do you keep going back? Think of that favorite meal that you asked your, your grandmother or your great aunt or your mother to cook you again. Think of that meal you want when you go home for the summer. Again and again. Why do you keep asking for that same meal? Or why do you want to keep going back to that same place? Because you've tasted it and you know that it's good. And now you want more of it again and again. And Peter's saying, that's what it means to grow in faith. Isn't it like that for a best friend or somebody that you want to be around again and again? You've experienced that person and now you want more of that person. So knowing that Jesus is good, Peter says, it's like, it's like a baby's milk. Depend on him completely. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 18, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And now we begin to see what Jesus meant by that. You are not to become immature, To enter the kingdom of heaven, but you must become childlike in your dependency upon a Lord whose goodness you have tasted. John Calvin, in talking about this passage, said this. As the human mind necessarily necessarily dreads and shuns God as long as it regards him as rigid and severe. So as soon as he makes his paternal love to the faithful, it immediately follows that they disregard all things and even forget themselves and hasten to him. Uh, When when my my younger brother was dying, uh, when he was getting closer and closer to to death, he spent almost two months in a surgical intensive care unit uh, in New York. I guess about eight or nine years ago now. And what I began to notice was, we didn't know he was about to die. uh, But looking back on it, the closer he got to death, the more all he wanted to hear was scripture read to him. He began refusing our prayers. Can you imagine somebody saying, you stop praying for me? A believer, a Christian saying, I would rather hear Jesus's words than yours. And that's, that's what Peter is saying. And that's what John Calvin was saying. And it's like the old spiritual, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. That dependency, increasing dependency, so that, as Calvin said, all you really, you're willing to forget yourself. You're focusing on Jesus. You're desiring him more and more. Your habits have to change, Peter is saying. Your desi- and that begins as your desires start to change. And desiring Jesus more promotes a desire for other people who follow him. Nourished Christians love each other as a nutritional side benefit to loving Jesus. But... Got a question for you. What's the difference between a healthy desire and a gluttonous craving? And you don't, you don't have to stay on topic here. We don't have to just talk about stuff in the Bible. In general, I mean, you can talk about, uh, it can be related to the passage or it can just be in life in general based on your experience. What's the difference between a healthy desire and a gluttonous craving? What do you think? really? <laughs> As you put peanut butter and raisins on it. Okay. Was that, was that more a comment than a real answer to the question or what? I oh, was so you don't think you can crave celery. Okay. Okay. So we're going to, I'm not sure what to do with that. It's true. I'm gonna put it on the shelf and bring it back for for good use. Thank you. Okay, so now we do not give Rachel too much celery. Other thoughts? What's the difference? Yeah. Well I
2: feel like normally when you satisfy gloves breathing, the feeling afterwards is either like ill, or like you don't actually feel like satisfied. Okay.
1: The feeling after is a good indication of the difference um, if you feel fulfilled and nourished after as opposed to unfulfilled um, or there's a, or a feeling negative in a sense that there's a difference there in the result okay, good. Somebody had a hand yeah okay. Okay. something that you do but control. So a healthy desire is something that you are in control of, an unhealthy desire is something that controls you. OK. Thank you. A couple of other ideas. What's the difference? Okay, so so, it's a healthy thing to have a celebration feast and to enjoy yourself. And it's, if you're doing that every day, if you're indulging every day and every meal of every day, there, there's, there's maybe a sign of an unhealthy desire. Okay. Um, yes, and then, yeah, we'll keep going back in the rows. Yeah. I
2: agree with Rachel. Donut work every time, right? I mean, whether happy, sad, it's just a donut. It, it didn't really bring satisfaction, but you know, if I'm upset, that donut works. The spinach doesn't work when I'm upset. It just doesn't <laughs> work. I'm saying is if you have a gluttonous craving for spinach, then it's a
1: healthy desire. You can have that craving, but if it's good, like, it can't. Be. Are you, do you agree with each other, by the way? <laughs> it, no. It, do you agree with each other? I'm going to let you take this outside at the end of the service, and you can resolve it and then tell us next week. I do believe you're both on to something, but, but for, ever, for the sake of everybody's Mother's Day, I'm going to keep the conversation moving forward. Thank you. I, li- I like that. It's the difference between spinach and a jelly donut. We should explore that. Um, yeah, it was a comment in the back. Yeah. Difference between a piece and the whole bar. Yes, absolutely. I just wrote four words down that came to my mind. Uh, gluttonous, craving, addiction, healthy desire, adoration. Health. And gluttonous, craving, lust, healthy desire, love. Okay. Um, um. Gluttonous, craving, lust, healthy desire, love. Okay. We're going to end on that. Thank you, everybody. Good thoughts. So, you know, kind of in line, I, I, think, I think the conversation was really hinting at this, that what prevents our nourishment is a craving for our old ways. Our old desires for our old things loved by our old selves Prevents the nourishment of our new cells and our new identity. Been reborn by the spirit of God. And Peter hints at this. And he hints at the difference between an unhealthy desire. And a healthy desire. Look at verse 1. Peter says that a developed taste for Jesus. Infuses a distaste. For what? All malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. So this spiritual milk that he's talking about contains powerful antibodies to these old habits, these old ways loved by my old self, Peter says. You know, a malnourished soul, I don't care how much you know about theology and the Bible, I don't care how talented you are, and how respected you are in your field or your vocation, I don't care how gifted of a person you are, even within Christianity. A malnourished soul doesn't promote body health by loving others. Dysfunctional growth. False maturity is exposed, Peter says, by divisive behavior. So an unwillingness to grow in your faith together as a body reveals a self-centered heart, a heart that only wants the donut again and again and again, even if spinach is available. A self-centered heart with a consumer's appetite. That's the difference is a healthy desire promotes body growth and an unhealthy gluttonous desire is just a consumer's heart. Now, Peter offers another illustration. If if nutrition doesn't quite do it for you, Peter gives you another metaphor, and this time he offers a building. He says, "You're, you're, you're coming to this Jesus who who is a living stone that the world rejected, but God said was chosen and was precious. And as you're coming to him in verse five, Peter says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Verse five. So each each Christian is like a living stone being constructed into one Beautiful building as God, the bricklayer, lays one piece at a time, perfectly together, all resting on the foundation stone, the cornerstone, Jesus, as Steve showed our children earlier today. And now you can see why the nourishment of one person is necessary for the health of the many, because God is building something out of all of us. God is building a spiritual house. And each stone is laid together by God. With Jesus at the center. Jesus at the foundation. Now as many people have said throughout history. How can a house. Divided by itself. How can a house. Where the members. Are continuing. Continually lusting. After the old desires. Of your old self. How can that type of a house. Stand. The malnourished soul. The malnourished soul, which is, which is the, the you that loves the old ways before God changed you. The old habits, the old ways of thinking, the old beliefs, the old default patterns, right? The malnourished soul is committed to self-preservation. Not true self-preservation. You think you're saving yourself. You think you're defending yourself, but you're malnourished. Malice, which is really just... It's, it's harboring ill will towards another person. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These things that Peter describes, they undermine unity. Now, if you're a Christian, ask yourself this question, are you a, calling yourself a Christian while harboring malice or envy toward another Christian? Or toward anybody, and is that malice or is that envy causing you to commit deceit toward them? Hypocrisy in your dealings with them or even slander, which is a bad word against them, tearing down their reputation and their good name. James sheds light on this also. The apostle James in his letter, he asks Christians, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And he goes on to say something very radical. He he says, you adulterous people. He calls us adulterers. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world, the old ways, the old self, okay, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And don't think that friendship with the world just means hanging around with the wrong crowd. Friendship with the world means deceit, malice, hypocrisy, envy, slander, even within the community of Christ. So when you take what Peter is saying and you put it against what James is saying, this is what you have. If you are not craving Jesus, then your other cravings are undermining Christian unity. And as exiles here, whom else can we depend upon if not each other? You see why it was so important for Peter to explain this to people who had become Christians and were trying to live in that society as new people. Now, Peter offers a warning. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He's quoting Psalm 118 and he's quoting Isaiah. A rejection of Jesus's people is really a rejection of Jesus. It's kind of like, I remember when I fell in love with Becky, she was the mentor. She was a residence life mentor on on a hall of freshman girls. And it was, she was with these girls constantly. And they came to her with her problems. And and I began to realize, if you're going to love this woman, you got to love her people. When you marry somebody, right, who already has kids, you, 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 don't get, you don't just get that person. You get that person's children, too. You're marrying, in a sense, a family. Jesus is saying, you want to walk with me. You want to love me. You get my people, too. These people belong to me. I've died for them. I love them as much as I love you. And we're going to have to find a way to disregard the old ways of dealing with one another and find a new way to work together. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation stone for people who follow him by faith. But you know what it says? And here's the warning. For some people, Jesus isn't a foundation stone. He's a stumbling stone. For some people, they don't stand on Jesus as a foundation. They trip over him. They keep stumbling on him. Or if you want to go back to the nutritional metaphor, some people regurgitate what Jesus has to say. Some people choke on Jesus. They can't digest him. They keep, they keep spitting him up again and again. They can't digest his truth. They can't digest who he is. They taste him and they spit him right out. So, C.S. Lewis once said, you know, if you can't, if you can't eat the food, the only food that the universe offers, you may just starve. Now, here's the hope, because there's always hope when you're talking about Jesus. He doesn't just leave you hanging with a warning. The hope is this. What guarantees your nourishment, if you want to follow Jesus, what guarantees your nourishment is his promise to feed you. That's the difference, is that he promises to feed his people. You may remember that when he hung on the cross, And John 19 records this. He hung on the cross and he said, I thirst." Now that's a loaded statement and it means so much. But just simply, I want to say this, that when Jesus, the son of God, hung on a Roman cross, he experienced the ultimate form of malnourishment. Jesus on the cross cried out to his father, why have you forsaken me? And he also said, I thirst and I believe Jesus, the man in bodily form was thirsty, but there's more going on here. The ultimate malnourishment is to long for the goodness of your heavenly father that you have known and tasted since before the creation of the world and reach out for it and see it being denied. Jesus called out to his father on the cross He knew of the father's goodness. He longed for it. And he was denied. And he was denied because he hung there with my sin and with your sin. And so he had to be denied there. And so that ultimate cosmic malnourishment was laid upon Jesus so that you and I would never have to go without the goodness of God. We never have to go without God's goodness. It is offered to you because Jesus, for one moment, went without it and was denied it. Jesus would say in another place, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The things that you are craving... Are not satisfying you and in your frustration you are hurting each other but when we all desire jesus when he becomes the thing we desire most then our desires start matching up with one another don't they when jesus is the thing that you desire most Well, now our desires begin to complement one another. And we're no longer desiring things that are at odds with each other. Our desires are no longer conflicting because we want Jesus more than the thing we're trying to get from each other. And that a community of people, whether it's a church or a family or a business or intervarsity chapter camp, whatever it is, a group of people all longing for Jesus most together, that's where peace begins. That's where justice begins. That's where unity begins. The world will never have peace. The world will never have justice until everybody wants Jesus most. A Christian's faith is also a corporate faith. The Lord Jesus has designed his church as a spiritual house. Where we grow in faith as we seek him together. So I want to encourage you to continue to taste his goodness. And if you keep choking on that. Ask him to help you appreciate what up until this point has just been bothering you. And let me know if you want help with that. Maybe for the first time or maybe again and again, taste and see that the Lord is good and our unity begins there when we want that. Let's pray. Father, we echo again the words that we sang at the beginning of this day. Hast thou not seen that all thy longings have been fulfilled in what he ordaineth? Help us to see that what we really need, and I think, Father, what, the, what our hearts truly cry for, you have already provided. Help us to taste it. Help us to perceive it. And help us to come together and stand together on the foundation that Jesus has already laid, his grace his amazing death, where he went without because of his love for you and because of his love for us. Help us to find unity upon Jesus, not upon our own ideas or unhealthy desires, but give us a desire, give us a thirst, give us a hunger for Jesus, and give us a healthy hunger for the things that are important to him. In his name we pray. Amen.